Amen. I noticed on the video uh, with our brother from India where we have planted a church there, Go Church India, that in the process of him speaking on camera, that it began to rain. Did you notice that? Shirt was getting wetter. And I told my wife, perhaps before they build the church, we should buy him an umbrella <laughs> so he can build the church. The privilege of Go Church here in this location is that we can launch a lot of things that the Lord has placed on the heart of our pastor, J.C. and Kimberly. And that launching certainly has preceded this day and will follow after. And I say that to tell you to uh, all of our Germantown family in Maryland, to all of our family on the west side of Atlanta, to all of our families right here in these walls, to all of our families online, and to all of our families still in bed, we welcome you. Why don't you put your hands together with me and let's do that heartily. Let's give them a God bless you. Come on. Yeah. Amen. And a special favorite of our pastor, which is all, which is the same with us, is the opportunity to honor those who are serving in the military, those who have served, and those perhaps in the future who will find themselves there by the leading of the Lord. This land, as far as I know about lands, carries the most freedom for us than any other nation in the world. And that freedom, as far as I know, for me, having been here now for 53 years, that freedom is cherished, admired, loved. And I've been a lot of places in the world, this is me, and I'm not speaking for you, but I'd rather be an American than any other nationality. That's me. So why don't we, why don't we thank God for our military? Our military. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'd like for you to stand in honor of the word and prayer. And we have a bit of a journey here as we go through our summer school courses and classes. And uh, as we consider, not only consider, but look at the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters. As we know already, because we've been informed that these are the writings of Solomon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of his writings will be sweet like honey to our taste. Others we would probably wish we never tasted. But it all comes together in the unity of the Word of God. So I'd admonish you after we pray, uh, this being sun, uh, summer school and all, to uh, take some notes, if you can, because there will be a test. I mean, you ever went to school without a test? Then you didn't stay in long, did you? This is his word for our time. I'm always encouraged when you pray for me, and I want to do it for you. I'm going to ask you to stretch your hands in my direction and pray above a whisper so the devil will know that you're praying against him and pray for me. Let's do that even now. So, Father, I thank you for this wonderful time of gathering today. For these men and women of God here in this house 
online and the other campuses. Thank you for them all. God, it's not my job to change lives, but it is my job to bring the food and the meat and the substance of your word that will change lives. Help us not to leave here as we came. Renew our minds. Restore, oh God, where places in us that need to be mended. We all come with perhaps monsters we're fighting this morning. We all, we all come today with uh, mountains that seem, uh, Lord, we have no capacity to scale on our own. But God, you are bigger than anything in our lives that may try to bring us down. So let your Holy Spirit rest upon all of us and let us be changed so much so that we will hear what David said. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And the church say amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you. There are four major thoughts that will come out of the book of Proverbs, particularly chapter 6. Chapter 6, four themes that I want to lift up and won't be able to tarry on uh, some of them too long if I'm going to get to the rest. So uh, these themes, perhaps they'll have it on the screen momentarily. First of the four is surety. The second is sloth. The third is scoundrel. We got you covered now, don't we? And the fourth is scrumpets. Not misspelled. I'll explain as we go. Scrumpets. Now some of what I will share with you this morning may be a little difficult to digest. It was for me, actually. Uh, but I don't want you to perceive it as an attack or personal attack. And if you and I have any issue with with uh, these words from Proverbs 6, then we should perhaps text or email or Twitter or there's something now called TikTok other than a watch. Maybe we should make contact with Solomon and find out what he meant. But I don't think we'll find issues with the Word of God because my years of preaching experience have informed me that when we preach God's word and his truth, we do not need to apologize for God. So with that, we go to the first of the four thoughts. Knowing that Solomon's purpose for writing was at least threefold. He was writing to his sons and daughters. Of course, he would have them because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I think there'd be a few kids still around. So he, he writes to them, and we find it in Proverbs. He writes, number one, for their instruction. Number two, he writes to rebuke those that need that. And he writes, number three, for direction, direction for them. So there is this instruction, rebuke, and direction. You see, what Solomon discovers is that his life has really been a textbook. And he wants now to share with his children some of the ups and downs, the good and bad, what they should follow and what they should shun. That's Proverbs. So in chapter 6, he talks about this thing that's called surety. And I'll read the scriptures and you follow with me. This will be from the New Living Translation. My child, 
If you have put up surety for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter and like a bird fleeting from a nest. Net, pardon me. Solomon is saying here about surety that poor financial decisions can severely handicap a person's life. The word surety, S-U-R-E-T-Y, in Scripture is a legally binding guarantee to pay for someone else's debt or responsibilities. And so, in modern times, when we speak of surety for your friend, what it means is that someone has become a co-signer for the debt of a friend, a family. It is kind of like making a deal with a financial institution or a business to pay your friend's financial obligation if they fail to do so. Surety, co-signing, there's more. It is Shaking hands or signing paperwork, pledging to pay for someone's debt if they're unable to do so. And many lending institutions require that that be a part of the agreement for their own protection. Especially a lending institution would require co-signer if one of those have bad credit or worse, have none. Now, so Solomon, he, he builds these thoughts from these first five, uh, five verses as a uh, sort of throwing up a red flag. Don't go there. And, and here's what he says. Good intentions do not always end in good decisions. Just a little bit more monitor, guys. Solomon is not talking here about a case where you choose to become collateral, co-signer for a stranger and enemy. No, no. Solomon is addressing the choice to become collateral for a friend. And co-signing for a friend is done with nothing but good intentions in mind. For example, if a friend needs a car and they can't afford one without a loan... And if they can't afford a loan to buy the car, then it seemed like a good friend will help them out by signing their name with the friend who needs the car to help it to happen. Helping out by offering a simple signature may be done with good intentions, but is it a good decision? You're quiet because you made that mess up before and you don't want to say amen. <laughs> and I want to get again. Solomon says if you co-sign with somebody else, it is a snare, verse 2. A trap 
for, for, for your own self. Here's what you understand by this wisdom of Solomon. He says, co-signing legally binds you for the length of the loan to the character of the person with whom you sign. If your friend has a poor character and he's got to hide from everybody coming down the street looking for him, you probably shouldn't sign alongside him. Here's another thought about co-signing. Co-signing legally binds you for the length of the loan to the ability and the health of another person. Before you sign that loan alongside your friend to help him, you better be sure that he's not going to die tomorrow because then you got it. Oh, you better be sure he's not the kind of character that says, now, uh, now that Pastor Allen's got uh, a co-signed with me, I think I'll quit my job. You ever heard the spirit of slap? As soon as I find him. Here's something else. And that's what, look, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. Solomon says, run for your life. If you signed your name, get out of your bed. Go find that character and tell him that you want your name out of his mess. Here's something else about signing. When you do so, you do it for the length of the full amount of the loan. The dealership won't say, Mr. Matura, we want... uh, uh, so-and-so, your friend here you're co-signing with, we want you, him to carry this loan all the way. He got bad credit. He ain't no good. He ain't no count. But you can stop about halfway if you don't like it. <laughs> no. You're married to it. And so that's why, that's why it's so dangerous. Look at this. Good friendships don't always end up in good relationships. Co-signing is very dangerous for friendships. There's probably nothing else that make people more divisive and argumentative and ill-spirited than money. Well, politics. You know, if, uh, if you sign with somebody else and you will pay for their financial obligation if they can't, If in such an unfortunate event that they can't pay anymore and they want you to keep paying them so that you can be a bridge to their next payment and you say, I can't do it. I've done it five times before and you haven't helped and you have to say goodbye to that co-signing, pretty soon you're going to say goodbye to that friend. And it's not worth the broken relationship. So it's better that you don't co-sign at all. It's better that you loan them the money from your own self, if you're that dumb. Well, okay, okay. Uh, 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 better you loan them the money or you buy it for them, whatever it is, okay? Here's another thought, Uh, the third of this under the surety. Co-signing may help someone purchase something that is not God's will for them to have. Yeah, exactly. God is not going to bless us to bless the devil. And you don't want to bless somebody with your good name for them buying something that's not the will of God for them. And so it's best to stay out of it completely because you don't want to fund the work 
of a sinner who use what they have to bring credit to themselves or to the enemy. Amen? Okay, here's, here's number two of the four thoughts regarding sloth. Look at verse, would that be number six? It would be on the screen. New, New Living Translation. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? He doesn't mean while I'm preaching. Uh, you're already awake. When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Well, you'd think that Solomon lived in our day and time, wouldn't you? Solomon says in summer school, you don't have to get real technical. You don't have to put this in the computer. You don't have to get online and figure out this thing about sloth and, and, and laziness. Just look at the ants, A-N-T-S. He admonishes all of us and, and he tells us that the way they conduct their business or livelihood without having a boss or a supervisor or a manager or a parent over them, he says it's so remarkable to look at the, the tiny ant that you can't see without magnification some as far as ability to, to look into their life where they're marching with that leaf on their head bigger than their whole body. Solomon, these people who study these insects and ants and animals, they're known as naturalists. And naturalists have shown the ants' ingenuity as architects and their industry, their working industry, I mean industrious mines, that some uh, conduct themselves as miners, like in a mine going after coal, and builders. They are part of the army of the ants' family. Naturalists tell us the ants have divided themselves into mason ants, like, you know, mason, trial, mud. Then there are carpenter ants. You know that because they built on your house. Then there are mining ants, mining in the mines. Then there are carving ants. And of course, the most famous of them would be fire ants. He doesn't say nothing about that, but I know about it. Anybody ever met a fire ant, one of them? You ever wonder why God makes some of the things he makes? I mean, he got a sense of humor, doesn't he? But it's not funny when you get bit. Look at this. As Solomon says, there's several kind of ants. I won't describe them for you because time will not allow me to. But, but look here. There, there's a, a group of ants known as the harvester ants. Well, that would mean that they're specializing in harvesting food. There's another group of ants known as the parasol ants, P-A-R-A-S-O-L. These ants, they collect leaves and they cut leaves and they prepare special kind of compost and they're diligent, these farmer parasol ants, in preparation for what's coming for food in the winter. Then, then the beds are carefully, meaning the, what the farmer ants bring in, they're, they're carefully tended to by the gardener ants. The gardener ants removes obviously the weeds and etc., preparing what is called a mushroom crop, which is ready for eating. And then, so Solomon says, go to the ant, boy, girl. 
to evade slothfulness, laziness. I mean, these ants, they have little minds like a tunnels and such, and, and they have, if you want to, if any ants still living in that mound, you go over there and put your empty bare foot on it and turn it around and leave it there about a minute. You're going to find out if somebody's at home or not. Don't do it. I don't recommend it. Look at this. They have chambers in their ant hill. They have storehouses in their ant hill. They have military garrisons. I don't know where they get all this. I mean, where do ants get military stuff? There are workshops. And Solomon says, all these categories of busy ants, there's not an idler among them. There's not a lazy bone or a sluggard or a slug among, among them. Wow. You know, Scripture says, if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. And uh, I have understood and do still that God will not feed you and I physically or spiritually without we making some effort to be fed. You know, I, I like to have a little humor as I preach, and I can tell by your response I need a lot of humor this morning. <laughs> I knew that I would need to stay behind. Honestly, I knew that I would need to stay a little closer here. I've been given this assignment by the Holy Spirit, then I told Pastor JC what I felt the Lord leading me. Uh, then I knew it was a confirmation, but there are 31 other chapters, 30 others that uh, I'm going to go home and wish I preached from one of them. But not really, not, not really. I, I'm, I'm enjoying you and I know you're listening, so I apologize if that doesn't come across right. Sometimes you have to take a breather. Now, since we're taking a breather, get ready for another bam. <laughs> Laziness is inactivity because one does not want to work, not because one is incapable of working. You know, uh, I came across this real story this week online, and, uh, and you probably read it too. This guy works at a fast food store, and he's been working there for 27 years, and he hasn't missed a day of work. Not 27 years. And then the little video showed that somebody gave him a little gift or two, and it was like a little transparent plastic bag, a transparent bag. And this guy, you'd think he just got, you know, some major gift of some sort, like a computer, or a, you know, 50-inch television. And he started taking stuff out of the bag. And he had, as a gift, two rolls of Lifesavers. 27 years. An ink pen. He was so happy. Somebody else give him a little flimsy something. He was so happy. And uh, it was like an afterthought. Oh, 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 you know, I didn't remember this was 27 years, and so let's just throw something together. And he just, you know, like he... And uh, somehow it got out there among us, America, and the sentiment was... Uh, that ain't right, man. He ain't know somebody two lifesavers for 27 years. Now, better spirit of slap, it's back again. 
So his daughter says, I'm going to do a fund me. Is that how you call it? Go fund me. Go fund me. Yeah. Because I want my dad to be able to see his grandchildren he hadn't seen in a while. And all I'd like for him to have is like $20, $200. I'm hoping this GoFundMe would bring to me. And uh, I'll give it to my dad. And he and after 27 years, he can visit his family because he works so much. And so Americans like you and I, have, uh, you know, a blood begin to boil. You know what I mean when I say that? And when, when the last time they looked on that GoFundMe, he didn't have $200. He had $300,000. Can somebody congratulate that man? <laughs> now, I'm not going to try to take advantage of the moment, but I have uh, been serving this church for <laughs> 33 years. 37 altogether. And last I remembered is I got this pen, this pen. And the church didn't give it to me. A brother in the church gave it to me. Listen, if you're going to bring me something, bring me for some banana pudding. I got all the gifts otherwise. This church has been extremely great to, good to me. But, but I'm just saying to this, hard work may not pay right now today. But there's a God who looks on, whether you're working for God or whether you're working for fast food or whether you're working for a chain store, God got his eyes on you. So, well, let me say this. Uh, Here's just five little quick points here for lessons we learned from the ant. And you, you probably won't have time to write all these down. So as Pastor JC does, you know, says, take, take a picture of it. Look, so what do you learn from the ant? How do you learn? You learn wisdom from the lowly ant. Amen. Here's the second thing that you learn. You learn and I observe his or her diligence without need of overseer. We live in a kind of culture in America where it seems like laziness is a norm. And when the manager or the boss is in the same room that we're in about our tasks, we are busy about our tasks. But when they leave out, bless God, we sit right down. I'm very popular. Number three, learn about the ant, how she provides in the summer and gathers in the harvest. Isn't that good? You got something to gather if you plant something earlier. Amen? You know, if you're going to write a check, it's good to have some money in the bank before you write the check. But in order to have the money in the bank, you got a little work. Okay, here's another thought. The, the emphasis of the ant and referring to the ant it's being diligent in one's work. Diligent. Psalm says, look at the ant. They're diligent. And then the fifth, laziness is the parent of poverty. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Uh, it's like the person who thinks the world owes him a living may simply be too lazy to work for the living. Here's, let's, let's, let's talk about scoundrels. This would be uh, verses 16 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. You know, Scripture says God both detests it 
and considered it, these seven things, an abomination. Now, if God feels that way about certain things, as merciful, kind, loving, and forgiving as he is, and we are disciples of Jesus and followers of God, then perhaps the things that he uh, receives and applaud is what we should be doing. And the things that he detests and uh, is bad taste in his mouth are the things that we have to also come alongside of God and say, God, you first and I'm your disciple. And if it calls upon me to resist these things that you resist, then I do it. See, here's the first thing. The, the haughty eye kind of thing. God detests that. The Bible says uh, these are the people who overestimate themselves. And they underestimate others. They overestimate themselves in things like spirituality, knowledge, intellect, etc. These kind of people who have a haughty eye and a proud eye, the Bible says, are people who are arrogant, they're unteachable, they're rebellious, and they are judgmental. A little illustration. Uh, a young woman said to her pastor, young woman said to her pastor, Pastor, I have become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I am at church, I begin to look around me at the other women, and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare with my beauty. What, what can I do about this sin? The pastor replied, Mary, that's not a sin. Why, why, that's just a mistake. <laughs> Pretty good, isn't it? Haughty eyes. How about a lying tongue? These are one of the seven. A, a lying tongue. Uh, God hates it when truth is distorted. One writer said, those who practice telling little white lies soon find themselves becoming colorblind. Hey, why is it that, that uh, people distort the truth? Why is it that people lie? Well, number one is they do so to make themselves seem better than they really are. Right? Just make myself or others feel, seem better than they really are. Here's another reason why people distort the truth. And, and when I say people, I'm, I'm included in people. They do so to get what they want. Perhaps it takes a lie to get that car or to, to get that job or to win the, the affections of that guy or that gal or to get that loan to get what they want. Here's another reason why, uh, why people distort the truth. To conceal or minimize their own wrongdoing. Well, I may have done wrong small, but they've done wrong big if I'm better than them. And so people have, over the years, conveniently but disobediently been untruthful and it will catch up with them, with us. Can I get a witness? It will catch up. Uh, I, I like this other thought. So a, a store manager, he hears his clerk tell a customer, his clerk tell a customer, no, ma'am, we haven't had any for a while, and it doesn't look as if we'll be getting any soon. Horrified, the manager came running over to the customer and said to the customer, of course, we'll have some soon. We have placed an order last week, 
Then the manager drew the clerk aside and he said, never, and he snarled at the clerk, never, never, never say we're out of anything. Say we've got it on order and it's coming. Now, what was it that she wanted? Rain. She wanted it to rain. Well, we got it on order. How about this? These things that is, I love these kind of things because they're so human and they are. Uh, on a beautiful day, four students decided to go for a drive instead of showing up to class early. Beautiful day. And when they did arrive late, the students explained to the teacher that they had a flat tire. Well, the teacher accepted the excuse, much to their relief. The teacher said, since you missed this morning's quiz, you must take it now. She said to four of them, please sit in the four corner seats in this room, one in each corner, and, and do not speak to each other. Do not look at each other. And, and when they were seated, the teacher says, now's the quiz. On your papers, write the answer to one question. Which tire was flat? <laughs> oh, happy day. Yes, yes, yes. Be sure your sins will find you out. Stuff like that will always happen to me when somebody else gets away. Everybody still okay? Here's a third of which Solomon enumerates of the seven things that God hates. An abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood. Murder. I would say that you vow the Texas comes under that category of the one who shed innocent blood where 21 died. I would say a few years back, Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, where 26 children died, innocent blood was shed. God hates that. I would say Las Vegas, Nevada in 2017 when a sniper killed 59 innocent people. I would say Charleston, South Carolina, innocent blood. A few years ago, in a Baptist church on a Wednesday night, a Bible study, nine people, innocent. I, I would say uh, this past week, within the last week, the 4th of July, Highland Park, Chicago, six innocently By my reading and research, I've come to discover this. At 18 days after conception, the heart beats on its own. At six weeks, the fetus quickly moves into the womb. Brain waves are present at eight weeks. The child grabs and swims freely. The heartbeat is measurable. At 12 weeks, there are cries, of course, within the womb, suck the thumb, sleeps and wakes. All the organs and systems function, including mentally. The unborn infant can definitely feel pain. From this point on, nothing new develops. There's just growth and the maturing process. I would say that since Roe versus Wade and over 50 million babies killed in their mother's womb, those babies are innocent blood. Innocent blood. Innocent blood. 
It amazes me, America, how we'll see a commercial on TV to save a dog or a puppy and send money. And people wait in line to kill the child. It amazes me. Brian here is at the front. One of his family members from his wife's side. A baby, it was a boy, born 15 days ago. Premature, how many pounds? 15 ounces. One, fifth, one point, okay, one, one, almost two pounds. And how Brian's family is feverishly, whatever it takes, take him, take him to the pediatric, take him to, to Emory Hospital, take him to Scottish Rite, take him, we want to, whatever money it takes to save our baby. We're going to do it. We've prayed in this church for people to get a child so they could adopt a child while others take their banners and their placards all of America looking for their right to kill more children. Now, this is not the part of the sermon where I'm scared. And I, it's not the part of the sermon where I care whether you think good of me or not. I'm not here to defend me. If America's pulpit don't open up their mouth, we will stand in line of the guilty. Guilty. Everybody here can do something about saving innocent lives. Don't write the pastor. This ain't his sermon. Write me. But I'll throw it in file 13 because I'm so passionate about what Solomon said. He had... Oh, God, let me move on to something else because I'll just lose. I will become so unkind, and I can't afford it because I won't get more than a pen from my good work. <laughs> let, let, let me, can I thank you for doing that? It makes me feel better. Look, number four a heart that devised wicked plans. That's number four that God hates. I won't, won't elaborate now because I have used the time in an area that I think is more profitable. Uh, number five feet that are swift running to do evil, false witnesses, number six, number seven, provoke division. All right, here's the here's last, the strumpets part of it. Strumpets. What's a strumpet? It's misspelled trumpet. No. In Solomon's days and in the culture of that time, a strumpet was a prostitute. A strumpet was a harlot. A uh, strumpet was, I guess, lady of the evening or the night. Or to put it very plain, a strumpet was an adulteress, adulterer. Solomon says, if you were to get connected in adultery or fornication or sexual sins, and in that time a strumpet, harlot, prostitute, if you will... It will keep you from the immoral woman. Let me back that up. The words of your mother and the words of your father, Solomon says, the words of those who are older than you and more experienced than you, if, it, if you listen to their advice, it will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not make his clothes catch on fire? 
Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Oh, my Lord. There's always this crowd who says, it won't happen to me. Solomon says it's one thing to sleep with a prostitute, and it's a wrong thing. But if you want to sure your death, make sure of it, sleep with another man's wife. And now the culture is that women are so actively involved in sexual promiscuity until they could say the same a woman if you sleep with another woman's husband. Uh, Solomon says, look, 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 you, you, you can't play with fire. Not get Solomon says, think about the consequences before you carry out the act. Can I get an amen? To all of us, he's saying. If Solomon was here standing on this pulpit, I think that he would have said, I'm here to ring your bell. I'm here to, to blow your horn. I, I, I'm here to flag you down. I'm here. I'm Solomon. I had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I've been there. I've done that. Don't go there. Solomon says, think about the consequences. Because if you pursue that life of promiscuity, outside of marriage, in marriage, prostitute, harlot, etc., you will, uh, if you do that, It'll kill you. There have been people who've thought they fell in love with each other, married, but then they were working a job or going someplace, he this way and she that way, and they found somebody else while still married. Eh, she listens well. She hears my, my pain, and she's just really tender and nice. And, and, and so... I, yes, his wife presently, I, uh, I like you, but I don't love you. I don't know if some people come to me for counseling thought I had a sign over my head that said stupid. The preacher is, I'll tell him anything. It doesn't take long after this connection happens where the wife and he divorce, and this, this is more the norm than not, and she and the betrayer and such, they, they marry. It doesn't take long down the road before she realizes that she married the same goon that she was married to and he married the same Luke. Well, study the consequences because it's going to be like fire in your bones. Solomon says, and hastily now, are, are you all still okay because we have the doors locked and it's just about time to unlock them. Stay away. Everybody say, stay away. Look at number, number two. Take a friend to guard your weaknesses. What do you mean take a friend on my date? That's what I just said. Well, not literally, but you, you know what I'm saying? If you go and buy a place or stop and buy her house or his house on the way to somebody else's house, take a friend to ride along. Whatever it takes to stay clean and pure and holy and God's blessings on you, do it. Uh, Fill your mind with the Word of God. And you can't be filling our minds with the Word of God, singing praise songs and be hateful to somebody else. At the same time. I mean, let me show you something else. Oh, oh, oh. 
fill your mind with profitable activity. And, and I am moving in haste. I apologize. Prepare for temptation beforehand. By listening to good advice. Prepare for temptation. And number five, resist temptation by picturing the consequences. Let, let's bow, please. Thank you so much. So, Lord, I, I don't know how this resounded in some lives or whether it did at all. I do believe that your word will not return void. So now we have the word in our hearing and in our understanding. And whether our emotions were stirred with laughter or with anger or somewhere in between, may that work for our good, for our good. So with your head bowed and your eye closed because we don't, I don't want to embarrass you or single you out. And that's why we say head bowed and eyes closed. And you say, Pastor Allen, of these four major themes, I got some work to do. And I can't do it by myself. I, I got to have the wisdom of the word and the help of God. I got some work to do. I got some stuff I got to do that nobody can do for me. I got to do it for myself. And as you close with prayer, Pastor, I'd like for you to just ask God to help me and help us. Not going to single you out. Don't even know your name, but the Lord knows who you are. You say, I just got some work to do, Pastor. Would you hold your hand up and acknowledge that? Thank you. Just hold it up for a little bit. Yeah, you're very transparent, and you may put them down. Thank you. You may put them down. In Jesus' name. You know, I... Would you stand, please? And I know someone's coming to follow me. Stand with me if you can, if you will. Hallelujah to Jesus. Now here's what I feel in my spirit. This is a closing prayer before Pastor Van comes or who's following. If you didn't raise your hand, then that doesn't mean you're less than honest at all. Perhaps you're going to do this. If you didn't raise your hand, about some work in you, you'd say, Pastor, I got people I know, my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter. I, I just know I'm, I'm here today to represent their need. They need some work. So that'd be all of us. Would you lift your hands to the Lord, everybody in the house? And so, Father, I thank you for your presence today. Go ahead and just pray. Pray for, call the name right now. I'm going to pray just a moment. Call the name for which you've raised your hands or you have on your mind. Lord, they just call, Lord, it's so-and-so, and they're struggling with this surety money thing. They're struggling, God, with this scoundrel thing. The enemies caused them to hang around the wrong people. They're struggling with being slothful, God. Lord, they need a job, and they need to take care of their family, and need to pay their bills, God. They need Heavenly Father to, uh, to have, not have somebody over their head all the time yelling at them. Come on, let's pray that way. Father, and then this thing about uh, sexual uh, temptations and sexual uh, impurity. God, I, I just pray, Lord, that we realize that we can't play with fire without us getting burned. Lord, I pray that we'd become a friend of Jesus. Come on. Lord, for all of us, fill us with the Holy Ghost today. Lord, wash us clean in your blood one more time. Sanctify our minds today, God. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Let us leave here today armed with truth and a willingness to change. And everybody say amen. Give the Lord a praise. Lift your hands.